Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Bingetown TV. My name is Kyle. I'm joined by Luke and Kathleen, and we are back here to discuss episode three of HBO's House of the Dragon, titled The Second of His Name. So we've jumped three years into the future, uh, which has really just allowed the seeds that were planted in last episode, which is basically Allison and Viserys' marriage, Corliss and Damon's war. Those seeds have grown, and now they are legitimate plot points. Honestly, my during my first watch, after my first watch, I was not the biggest fan of the episode. That probably has something to do with the fact that I think I was a little bit drunker than even Viserys was at his party. <laughs> so I think the second watch, I liked it a lot better. Um, I'm a much bigger fan after the second watch. So I guess I'm curious now to hear what you guys thought. Yeah, I felt the same way. I was pretty much way higher on it after my second watch. I'm still deciding in my head if I think it's better or worse than the the pilot, the premiere. I definitely am still on the train that the second episode is the best of the season because of that one scene at Dragonstone. It was good, though. I, I liked it more, especially rewatching it with the hindsight of knowing Viserys's final decision about the air. It made every scene before better on a rewatch because I was in the mindset where this is so obviously going to be him ending the episode with saying you're no longer the air, which just kind of makes sense politically. But the fact that he didn't do that makes all the harsh conversations he was having with Rhaenyra even better because it was coming from a genuine spot where he wants the best for her and wants her to be happy and he is not taking away the air of the throne title so all of that made it much better on the second on the rewatch and damon is a, you know if you haven't been paying attention on social me media people are freaking out about how he stole this whole episode with saying one line of dialogue and that happens in the first 10 minutes and it's true he does so much facial and body language acting and he's still just he steals every scene. It's so fucking hard not to say that every podcast because it's just so damn true where whenever he's on the screen, I'm on the edge of my seat and it's always great. Yeah, I loved it. I This is the first episode I got to watch with any of the Bingetown boys. So I, I watched it with Luke. Kyle was supposed to show up, as he mentioned. Very drunk. Drunk Sam as a skunk, us. this boy. Sam bagged us. But great episode. <laughs> I have a lot to talk about whether or not we think Viserys is a good king or not. I think that, again, Allison, I'm like, what motivates her? What What is she actually thinking? I'm not sure. And I would like to say that we two of three of us guessed that the crab feeder would be beat by the end of episode three. We were right. I think that all in all, even though the crab feeder was kind of like a cool little bad guy of the week, he didn't actually matter. It just matters now where we're standing with Damon and Corliss and everybody and how the realm was like shit talking them for like doing this war without really the blessing of the king and all that stuff. So it, all in all, the crab feeder didn't really mean much other than he's just a plot device to move the plot along. But he was still sick. And mm -hmm. I also think, does he speak words? How is he commanding this army? And also, yeah. I do want to say he definitely has um grayscale grayscale yes. yeah grayscale. yeah we can talk about that stuff at at some point probably i guess more when yeah. we're in the actual scenes but the i'm really glad that you mentioned whether he talks or not because he does seem to communicate a lot with like nodding and like moving his head but his head is so small to like I, every time i look at him i'm just like this guy's head is so tiny compared to the rest of his body so that would make it even harder to communicate like seeing him through all smoke and fog and he's just going like <laughs> and he just has his little peanut head trying to do that so yeah but, but a lot of that conversation will come back up right we're gonna do totally. the whole yeah. stepstones at the end yes yeah we okay. can do all that stuff at the end 
So if we'll skip the opening scene of the step zones, we'll move to um, what is our first scene in King's Landing of the episode. So we're having a little bit of a feast. We now meet for the first time Viserys and Allison's firstborn child, who happens to be a son. Uh, his name is Aegon, and it's his second name day. So this scene kind of opens up with there's two main parts essentially. It's Otto discussing with his older brother Hobart about what this means now for the heir and who is going to be the heir. And then we have Tylan Lannister coming in and reporting that Damon and Corlys are kind of struggling a little bit on the Stepstones. And Viserys is just like, I don't care about any of this shit. Like, where the fuck is Rhaenyra? Oh, so much. I I have so many questions because (laughs) we're getting introduced some Lannisters here. And this is just awesome. Tylan seems to be the more reasonable, well-put-together twin compared to his brother jason which what the fuck why is his name jason uh but then <laughs> it's just insane and then this kind of comes up a little bit later but their father is still the head of the house right the lannister that they're sitting yeah. with at the table when Rhaenyra walks in with the boar that wasn't their father okay i guess that's interesting my interpretation of it was that jason is lord of casterly rock okay so he's even the how did twins get decided who the head is just the first so one that popped out yeah i mean i'm fairly positive that jamie and cersei it's like a total thing in the books that i'm pretty sure cersei is technically the firstborn because she came out first Mm -hmm. um and i really do think it comes down to that but it doesn't matter for female male at that point oh no 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 but i'm just saying like it i'm sure it that jason happened to pop out first (laughs) okay because i like tylen but fuck jason yeah no way that yeah. Thailand and Jason weren't just mixed up 80 times before they like grew up and could be like, I'm Thailand, I'm Jason. <laughs> like yeah. back then, twins, no fucking way. Yeah, I mean, it, it literally <laughs> says, like, and it, it just says his older twin is how he's described in like all of like, the wikis and everything. So yeah, I guess Jason just kind of popped out first. Um, but mm-hmm. Thailand is actually, they don't mention it here. They mention it a little later that he's on the small council. So he has taken Corliss Valerian's spot as master of ships. And he is the ancestor of our Lannisters from Game of Thrones. Yes, right? correct. Okay. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure the direct way because it's a lot of years in between, but yeah, yeah. And another question that I've been meaning to ask, um, I don't know if you'll know the answer to this. So one of my favorite things that George R.R. R. Martin did with the political world building of Westeros is I love the concept of the wardens. And traditionally, the warden of the West is who sit is the head of the of Castle Rock, right? Is that not yeah. usually the Lannister? So is that Jason? Or we don't really know, or the titles don't matter that much at this point in the Westeros' history. I don't remember when the wardens got established. Yeah. So at this point, Jason Lannister, if he is actually Lord of Castle the Rock, because if I'm honest, I totally missed that older man that. I guess was wearing some Lannister heraldry. Mm-hmm. Um, he would be Lord of Castle Rock, Shield of Lannisport, Warden of the West. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So that's all the titles that they end up getting. But mm-hmm. yeah. And then uh, Tywin Lannister obviously had all of those. He also became Hand of the King multiple times. So, yeah. um, but yes, that would be his title. The Wardens are pretty sick. That's a pretty sick title. It's so cool. Um, but the other thing we didn't mention is Allison is pregnant as fuck again. She is yes. ready to pop. Super pregnant. And I guess importantly, Otto is speaking with his older brother. His older brother, Hobart, who is actually the Lord Hightower. He runs this, um, I'm sorry, Old Town, where the Citadel is and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And Hobart is like, dude, like, come on. Aegon's going to be the fucking heir. Like, it's not a question. And Otto is kind of knows, obviously, Viserys a lot more. And it's like, I don't think it's that easy. Yep. But <laughs> second question is, this is impossible Harry Potter trivia. But who does Hobart Hightower play in the movie series? 
Is he a muggle or is he a wizard? He is not. He is a wizard. And it's in the later films. He's only in, he's in one movie and it's in the back half. Oh God. Um, wow. I've got zero no. idea. Yeah. You'll he, never get it. Is he a ministry person? Someone he is a ministry person. Yeah. Is he one of the people that, that they turn into with the polyjuice potion? <laughs> yes. yes. Right. Yeah. Let's yeah. He, he is who Ron turns into. Yes. Wow. Ron ruins yeah. his marriage or something. Cause he's yeah. his wife and stuff. <laughs> his name's like Rog Craig. I, I forget what his actual name is, but, um, but yeah, that was a, uh, that was a good guess. I have some commentary just on this time jump. So people keep saying two years. It's really like two years, nine months, almost three years because yeah, it's been three. Allison is basic was pregnant. So you got to wait nine months for the baby to pop and then two years for the second birthday. A couple things. So this war has been just waging for three years. How does the crab feeders have anything? On Corliss and his ships, Damon and his dragons. I I understand like d- dragons seem like a checkmate. And I know that the crab feeder and his army just retreat, right? They retreat into mm-hmm. caves. So the dragons cannot get into caves. But and dragons don't really have any finesse. It's like I'm gonna just how we saw in the opening scene. Like you're gonna get stomped on, even if it's if you're on the right side of oh, the dragon side. But I just think that it's crazy that for three years we're still like. And we're not really winning the war either. We're losing. So I, I just is shocking. I get I also get that like things take way longer in that age. Like you have to ships are weeks away. If you send ships, they're weeks away. So I don't know. What do you guys think about that timeline? I was I was concerned with it too. Um I don't understand how the crab feeder his squad can do anything. The opening scene made it seem like okay, Damon and Corliss are walking through this war. And they never really explain how it's possible that they weren't just walking through the war. I think the the point of it is that, so at the end, like Kathleen mentioned, they go into the caves. And I think a important thing that is currently also happening, but they're not probably not going to end up talking about is the fact that Dorne is not part of the seven kingdoms at this point. Like Dorne is still an independent kingdom because technically Aegon the Conqueror never conquered Dorne. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is because the Dornish would do exactly what Crabfeeder and his men are doing right now. They would use the the mountains and like cave passes, and they would just hide in mountains, so the dragons couldn't get to them. Right now, Dorne's not part of the Seven Kingdoms. It's going to be another eighty years until Dorne becomes one of the kingdoms finally. And they do it through marriage. They don't actually do it through military conquest. So Dorne never actually was conquered. The Targaryens had a, had to settle getting them into Westeros and the Seven Kingdoms through marriage. So I think that's kind of, they're just taking that idea and using it that way. I'm fine but, with um, that. Yeah, like I mean, they show too. it too in the beginning scene that we we kind of skipped over because we'll talk about all the, the crab feeder stuff at the end or later rather, is that like they even show Caraxes like trying to get into the cave and Caraxes, as we know, is a long boy with a long neck mm-hmm. and the fire only goes so far in and doesn't really end up killing anyone. So I just think that's kind of what the idea of, of what they're going for. Down check yeah good. the dragon just blows out of the cave they'll choke and die from the smoke just keep doing it dracarys for an hour we're good <laughs> i would i would agree with you but uh <laughs> it seemed that even Aegon and balerion and his two sister wives and their dragons couldn't do it so okay i guess there's I'm some in. credence to the strategy yeah <laughs> <laughs> and like i had mentioned a little bit earlier viserys is looking for rhaenyra we find rhaenyra in the godswood with samwell which is a very familiar name to us Game of Thrones fans. He is singing her a song, and we had a very awkward confrontation with the very pregnant Queen Allison here. 
And this is just basically to show us that in three years, this relationship is pretty much broken at Mm -hmm. this point. Rhaenyra is trying to use, you know, she's the heir and the princess. So she's like, keep singing to the singer. And then Queen Allison has to step up and be like, bitch, I'm the queen. Like, he's obviously going to listen to the queen. So he dips out. And Rhaenyra kind of mockingly abides by the queen and king's command to go join them because we're on the way to the hunt. So that'll lead us into our next kind of two group scenes, which is us riding in the carriage on the way to the hunt, which is more awkwardness because this family really does does not seem to like each other or communicate well. And then we have the reception of when they actually get to the hunting grounds. So just to start, did anybody else get Yasker vibes like right away from our mm-hmm. bard that's singing to, to Rhaenyra? I did not personally, but Paul made that comment when we were watching. Okay, that's enough justification to know I'm not crazy. <laughs> so yeah. I guess we, we've been talking about this off podcast for this episode. We're testing out our hot takes thing. And I think a super, super small hot take here, which, you know, who cares, is that I don't think that Allison or Rhaenyra look like they aged a day in these three years compared to like the kid, like Aegon obviously did. It doesn't feel like three years passed and they still feel like... 13 to me did it look like they aged him up at all i see it i see allison is obviously pregnant they have her in these more royal outfits i think what they did really was the outfits okay. it's really yeah. in the outfits rainier is kind of holding herself a little taller maybe and i don't know i i saw it i made a comment last night that that's what i saw i was like they do look older to me mm-hmm. um but it's really just in allison's pregnant obviously you just kind of look a little older and the hairstyle and stuff i think that's what they did but okay i mean, yeah, i would I say I, didn't see it much. I would say i noticed it with allison definitely yeah okay one of the points i want to bring up is that i absolutely love i said this to kathleen um i loved that allison did not take the aggressively like defensive approach to Rhaenyra hating on her now like she felt remorseful and sad and I want her to 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 wallow in those terrible emotions for a little bit she deserves that and then she can grow from it but I'm happy that it wasn't like well fuck you I'm the queen like do this instead she's like come on make this better yeah yeah she's definitely still trying to mend the relationship which is what I wanted yes yeah and I mean, in the in the carriage ride away from King's Landing and towards the Kingswood I mean Allison is almost She's trying to do that and fails spectacularly because Viserys is like, soon, you know, to Rhaenyra, this is like, you'll make me a grandsire, like a grandfather. And Allison chimes in is like, you know, yeah, like childbirth really wasn't that bad for me, like trying to almost comfort Rhaenyra. But there's a little bit of an awkward silence, which in, I took it as like, they're all thinking about Queen Emma and literally her Rhaenyra's mother died in childbirth and mm-hmm. they're having multiple terrible pregnancies. Mm-hmm. So, like, I just, you can really feel the awkwardness. And I think Allison was like, ooh, like, swing and a miss. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Yeah, I will say that while me, Luke, Alki, and Alex were watching, and when she says, nobody's here for me, which is in the trailer. In the trailer, it's when she's riding away on the horse. In this, it's in the carriage. And all of us, all four of us were like, that was kind of awkward placement. Like, we all thought, what does she exactly mean by that? Does she mean no one's here for me at this at this hunt, nobody cares if I'm here or not. Why are you bothering me? Or is it like a double meaning where she's like, no one's here for me. I don't have anybody. Like no one's actually like on my side or rooting for me. I think it's a little mm-hmm. bit of both. It, it was like kind of a bit of an awkward line, but yeah. um, I think it does play to both ends that nobody's actually here for me. It's It makes me so sad that Rhaenyra for three years has just been pissed. Mm-hmm. Romping around Westeros, just mad. And that makes me sad for her because Allison, like in the Godswood, that was their place. They laid, they read, and now Allison's coming there and being like, 
pulling rank. So just made yeah. me a little yeah. sad. I think it the to your point on that exact line, it they drive it home in the next scene when they actually arrive at the the camping, the hunting site, whatever you want to end up calling it. And um Aegon is carried out of the carriage first, and Hobart Hightower announces him as Aegon the second of his name, which I mean, like you wouldn't do that unless you were actually like heir to the throne on like becoming kin king rather he's not the first Aegon or like the second Aegon ever there's been other there's been another Aegon after the conqueror and before him and that guy wasn't called Aegon the second of his name so that's like him basically saying like almost he's pretty much almost calling him the heir at that point and there's like the whole round of applause and then it cuts to Rhaenyra at the end of the scene is alone in the carriage listening to the applause for her younger half-brother Aegon so I think it's supposed to be that yeah literally like everyone is at this event because of Aegon. Yeah, I didn't get that, but I didn't know that was a thing, and I like that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, because I mean, like I, I had mentioned in the first scene, they'd have him pestering Otto about, like, when the hell is Viserys going to name him the heir? Because, like, mm-hmm. it's everyone knows it's going to happen at some point. They have two huge kind of scenes that are set inside the party tent. Mm-hmm. Party tent 1.0 is going to be all the ladies gossiping, and Laris, his name is Laris Clubfoot, because he has a... <laughs> A club foot. <laughs> um, it's fairly imaginative there. Uh, he joins in with the ladies gossiping because, as he says, the gods did not make his body for hunting. Yep. Um, they gossip, and then Rhaenyra speaks with Lord Jason, gets offended that he wants to marry her, even though he is Lord of Castlerock, Rock, which is you know a decent marriage. And then Rhaenyra and Viserys get in that big fight. So that would be the next like this group of scenes that we can kind of all talk about at once. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got a fucking opinion, even these bitchy women. Like all these women, it's the whole the the whole thing of the episode is Viserys is like enough of the politicking. Like, can I be at my son's second birthday and have yeah. eighteen glasses of wine, please? Like, what the <laughs> fuck? But I he have a question anyway. Like a legit question for you guys. So, say Rhaenyra chooses Lord Corlys's son, Lenor. Right? Say say she actually does marry him. Is she still? the one in power, the queen mm-hmm. as the queen, does she sit on the throne or does he mm-hmm. sit on the throne because he's a king? So she still does. Yeah. Viserys okay. even mentions it, that whoever would be her betrothed, I guess you could say would end up being King consort. Okay. So got he's it. not I... actually the king. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause he's not a Targaryen. Um, okay. Did you see the pug though? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did we? That was insane. That was so funny. <laughs> crazier than the dragons honestly but um talking about the the jason lannister conversation i'm gonna I'm a throw on my uh no morals hat here like on paper like that sounds amazing like marry jason lannister there's so many times already through these first three episodes where you put your emotions aside and rhaenyra brings it up later to her dad saying like you know if you cared about advantage you should have just married Corliss's daughter and that's the same situation here where I think Jason Lannister is a great match but I do actually think um the son is better Corliss's son is a better match what's okay. his name Lenor Lenor and yeah I got some words to say about Lenor later but that's that is that hot sound- well yes duh that sounds <laughs> fucking perfect that matchup especially yeah. because he has a dragon which we just did not really know about to this point I guess we could have assumed because he is the son of Rhaenys and that's yeah. what would have given him the dragon egg as a, as a kid. But yeah, basically all of these perfect matches are falling out of the sky. I do, like I was saying earlier, like Tylen significantly more than Jace, than Jason. And if it was the opposite, maybe it would work because he seems a little bit more professional and like well-mannered. 
Um, but I don't know. Like, do you guys think that Jason Lannister, while he was like a creep in that scene, yeah, kind of was making some good points about like, you know, you can come here and be like one of the most powerful, continue your being one of the most powerful women married to me. Yeah. I mean, politically it's, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, he's yeah. warden of the West. That's, there's not many stations you can marry into that are higher than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I mean, he does uh, that. What we know about the Lannisters, I mean, they have money. That's pretty much the one thing that that's fairly consistent. It seems like throughout time with them and they and pay their said, debts like, and, oh yeah. And they do that. <laughs> and he was like, I can build you a dry, a dragon pit. Like, yeah. And that pissed like, her off. <laughs> yeah. But it seemed like that. Like if I was him from his perspective, that seems like the way to her heart would be her dragon. Like I can build you a dragon pit. Like your dragon can come with us. We can, mm-hmm. you can sail on the sunset sea. Like we can do this thing. Yeah. I mean, she says later in the episodes, like even Jason knows you're going to replace me with Aegon. Like she's having these conversations. People like Jason are are making these assumptions like, oh, you're out. So you're going to need to marry someone else to still be in power, whatever. That's immediately going to piss her off. And then Allison, knowing her best out of anyone, is like, you have to make her think it's her idea. She's not going to want to marry anyone when it seems like it's being forced upon her and Jason just stumbled his way in and tried, and that's just not going to work with someone like Rhaenyra. Yeah. I mean, it, it blows up in Viserys face. It almost seems like Viserys reaction to this. Cause afterwards she confronts him directly inside of the party tent, which completely ruins the vibe of the party tent. But yeah. he says to her that he's a great match. And like I, I like the fact that he says, I've been slowly drowning in a lake of parchment since you've come of yeah. age. Like there's everyone in the realm wants your hand. Like you're eventually this is gonna have to happen. And they get into a little bit of a screaming match, which is totally a, a bit of a buzzkill. Does this feel like Crusaders Kings too, Kyle? Like it's just like could yeah. you imagine if you have just this prominent heir and she just refuses to get married? You're fucked. Your whole your whole game's fucked. Oh yeah, no, I mean you're definitely trying to have more kids, potentially locking her in a dungeon. I mean <laughs> There's there's things you got to do. I mean, at this point, you got to secure the line. Yeah. Or it's game over. And I don't fuck with game overs. <laughs> um, there are two lore things that I want to bring up here. Uh, one is that while the ladies are gossiping, it's a bit of an offhand comment. How uh, they mentioned that uh, the Lady Joanna Swan has been captured by the pirates and crab feeder. And that her uncle, who is notoriously cheap, will not pay the ransom for her to come back. So this is completely book accurate. It's, it's mentioned in Fire and Blood, and it's even it goes as far as to she has like a legit history. Like this woman is a big character in the Game of Thrones world. She gets sold, um, I believe, to in Lease, which is where Lady Miss Arya, Arya. yeah, Lady M- Miss Arya rather is yeah. from, uh, which is well known for like I guess for lack of a better term, some bed slaves, and she becomes like a really really famous person they she gets the name the black swan and she's pretty much like a rogue political figure that like rules the city from the shadows as like a courtesan so awesome and literally and it has in parentheses in the book like you know this is an interesting story but not about like but not relevant to the targaryen dynasty so let's move back to that and it's like okay and so it's sick that they actually put that in the show he literally can't even help himself he's like (laughs) i I thought of this cool thing i'm adding it (laughs) yeah but Fuck it. Yeah, that's like George George R. Martin literally writing that as someone that he created, talking about someone else he created. It's like, this chick's (laughs) sick, but like, let's get back to the point at hand. (laughs) And then the other one is um, uh, Jason talking about Castle Rock and mentions that it's three times the height of Old Town and the Wall, which seems insane to me. And I don't know if he's like trying to like slap his cock on the table or that's like a legit measurement thing because that seems way too big. Yeah, 
because the wall is way too big already comically big the wall like yeah. to the point where he, i i think it would have came up in game of thrones if that was actually real i i could buy the old town uh comparison especially yeah. if the landscape is just building up and up and up and up as you move yeah. north that would make sense but not the wall yeah i mean castle rock is like a natural thing it's like it's a cliff face so yeah i could i could see it totally but the wall seems like that's too much Agreed. I guess it's technically maybe biggest if you're on the ocean, like looking all the way up at it. But like when you're on the ground on the other side, it's not like it can't be that big. Yeah. I Unless think you're just big dick in it and being like, here's what awaits you. Yeah, I would agree. So just a very quick transition scene here is just going to be Otto stepping in and stopping the vibes being killed off completely by mentioning that the Royal Huntmaster uh, has found the white heart, which is supposed to be a good omen for Aegon. That's going to be something we'll talk about a little bit later as well. And then so Viserys goes out, you know, picks up some, some heart scat discusses uh, how big this, <laughs> this animal is. Alki um, loves that. Well, loves to hate <laughs> on that scene. Like what the fuck are you doing? He takes his glove off to feel yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. He's just oh. like picking up the poop and just rolling it around. He's like, Oh, this thing's probably gotta be at least 35 stone. <laughs> Yeah, I love that they did that too. Um, but Otto here mentions is begins driving home that idea that making the parallel between seeing this animal, which is known as the King of the Kingswood, and they're celebrating Aegon's name day, who you know could be the future king. So Otto kind of mentions that again to Viserys to continue mm-hmm. planting that seed in his old friend's head. So after we have our little transition into the woods to touch some poop, we go back to the real party. So back in the party tent so this party tent scene is all about Viserys sitting on the throne and just getting completely getting a load on while everyone around him is trying to politic so there's basically just main conversations he speaks with Jason Lannister about Rhaenyra he speaks with Otto about Rhaenyra and then he speaks to Lord Lionel Strong which Luke mentioned earlier who is the the master of laws yes so we get some good conversation here and one of my biggest takeaways I'm just going to jump right to the Otto part is they keep reinforcing the fact that he is not actively against Rhaenyra in any way. He is just so pro his son, which makes sense. It's been his goal since the first scene he's been in. So I do like that he's not come. They're not building him off as someone just pure evil that's just going to kill everybody around. That's to make his grandson the king, which he might end up doing eventually. But right now, it seems like he's still on the path to get to that point. And he's not just like pure evil and he can still kind of be trusted by Viserys. And I'm I'm liking that. Otto's older brother seems a little bit more on the path of do whatever you got to do to get this shit done right now, where Otto's a little bit more hesitant. And I kind of like that. So that was cool. And I fuck with Jason Spear. Those are my two comments. Yeah, yeah, the the spear is definitely a nice touch. And the, the the conversation with Jason is just a great kind of moment for Viserys even. We've talked about it at length. We'll probably continue talking about it for the rest of the season or for I mean as long as we get Viserys still in the show of that he's a good guy but a bad king. He doesn't really act like a king a ton, but here he was acting like a king. Mm-hmm. I mean, he gets pissed and is really like dropping some fucking actual heat on the Jason Lannister because he thinks, you know, like, do you think that House Targaryen wants for strength? And he's basically saying that, like, oh, there are people fomenting rebellion. You know, you should remember that, like, Rhaenyra is my heir and I didn't do that on a whim. So he yeah. kind of puts on the king pants mm-hmm. for that Jason Lannister scene, which personally I thought was awesome. Yeah. And then Otto, I guess the important part about the Otto thing is that Otto suggests that Rhaenyra and Aegon become God. betrothed. And Viserys just actually immediately laughs it off. 
Because he's like, we look over at him and he's like Goo Goo Gaga. And he's like, he's two years old. Like, yo, bro. Like, come on, man. Dude, this came out. This blew my mind. We were just like, what the fuck? Like, all of us out loud. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, it's just Otto is everyone's a chess piece, man. I mean, like you said, he's not maybe not an evil guy to kill people, but he's nowhere near above pimping out his children and grandchildren Mm -hmm. in a quest for power. When did the incest become taboo? Through the years, like, is it only not taboo because it's Targaryen? Like, Correct. when it was the Lannisters, obviously they had to keep it a secret because, I mean, by the end, Cersei was like, "Fuck it," like yeah. they're banging. She's like, "Come on in, <laughs> who yeah. cares? I'm the queen." So, like a very rough history of Targaryen incest is that Aegon the Conqueror obviously married both of his sisters, and while he was conquering Westeros, they pretty much made a deal with the High Septon in Old Town because he was like, "Either you recognize that this is cool." Or I'm gonna burn down this entire city, and the high septum was like, ah, okay, like I guess we can make an exception. Uh, so they make the exception for Aegon, and then one of Aegon's sons tries to do the same thing and take on like a bunch of wives and shit. And then we have there's a pretty much an uprising. So if we remember from Game of Thrones, we have the sparrows and they have like the faith militant army. Mm-hmm. That happens back then. They rise up and are basically like, we're sick of this incest shit. Like you guys don't actually worship the seven, and then they kind of get burned again because <laughs> the Targaryens have fucking dragons. <laughs> um, so then King Jaehaerys actually ends up on the throne and makes a deal with the faith that it's called the exception, the exceptionalism clause or something like that. Where basically like Targaryens are closer to gods than they are to men. So some of the laws of the seven don't actually apply to them. Wow. So cool. Damn. I mean, not cool, bad, but cool. <laughs> yeah. But yeah so they, it definitely was not uh easily accepted and they basically had to just fudge the religion to make it a cool thing and then What's, now we're decently removed what is generis to viserys uh so Jaharis is his grandfather okay and so so the conqueror was his great-grandfather yes Aegon, yes Jaharis. yeah Jaharis is the grandson of Aegon the conqueror okay so it's great great so it's yeah great. so it goes Aegon, Aegon the conqueror Aegon had two sons and then one of those sons had Jaharis. And then Jaharis had a son who then had Viserys. Got you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's because Jaharis, all the place, Jaharis of, but... gets referenced in this scene, right? Yeah. Yes. And he's also, we see him in the first episode, actually, too. Yes. Yeah. yeah At yeah, the Great okay. Council. Yeah. Yeah. The old king, aka yep. the OG, like great Targaryen king that everyone kind of uses as a, as the ultimate reference or, well, or yardstick. Jaharis. Is is it the scene where Otto's like Rhaenyra could literally be Jaehaerys reincarnated and it wouldn't not matter? Like yeah, actually, yeah, he gets mentioned twice in this episode. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Dude. Because we moved to so the third conversation in Party Ten Two Point is Lord Lionel Strong coming to Viserys. So as Viserys dismisses Otto, he gets drunker and drunker and drunker, and we see that how alone he is on the throne while everyone's laughing around him. So uh, Lord Strong comes up and they kind of. Talk about how Viserys just cannot control Rhaenyra for the life of him. Um, because at this point, she has run away. And Christian Cole is after her. We'll cover all those scenes together um, after this. But um, Lord Strong kind of throws his hat in the ring of what he thinks Viserys should do. Viserys thinks he's going to bring up his son, who uh, is Sir Harwin Breakbones, who is known as the strongest knight in the Seven Kingdoms. But Lord Lionel Strong throws him a curveball in that he's being an authentic advisor and counselor. That's looking out for the good of the realm. And he mentions Lanor Valerian. Mm-hmm. How is this not the first person people were bringing up? Like that is seems so obvious. And Viserys, 
Lord Strong gained so much favor with Viserys because it's the one person who didn't suggest something for their own gain. It was like, mm-hmm. this is good for the realm. You should do that because Lord yeah. Corliss, he's like probably pissed still about the Lena stuff. So let's mend that fence. Yeah, I'll take it a step further. I'll say the day that he decided that he was going to marry Alicent, he should have said, and Rhaenyra is going to marry Lenore. Yep. Done. There you go. We're all fucking happy. I mean, I guess Damon and, and Corliss never meet up to kill Crab Peter, but whatever. Alternate history. It all works out. Jon Snow and Daenerys, you know, great ending. Season eight never happened. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Catalina, I would I would venture as to say that people don't have not recommended it in the past because of probably the negative standing that Corliss is kind of in with the sure. realm. Because be- just because of this war. Yeah, that would be my guess. Okay. But Lord yeah. Strong is just kind of a pragmatic legend a little bit so he's like <laughs> yeah. i mean is, i don't man. yeah he's like i don't know if anyone else has thought of this but <laughs> i'm thinking it's pretty obvious that she should marry lenor yeah yeah he's cool. like- he's actually lord of harrenhal so he right now is chilling and his like family seat is harrenhal cool I like that at the end. He's like, now all we have to do is make sure he gets home from yeah. this war. And I was thinking about it. There's a million reasons why Viserys should have sent ships and stuff. I mean, I like that Allison was basically like, is it good for the realm or not? Do we want the crab feeder to just be romping around or not? That is like so talk about just like pragmatic and just yeah. logic, straight logic. If that is the best case scenario, you do need to get him home safe. So send some stuff out. I don't know that he was actually thinking about that, but in my rewatch, when I watched that scene, I was like, oh, maybe that's why oh, that's he sent another reason yeah. why he sent the ships. Like just one more reason in the pro list versus the con. Yeah, no, that totally makes a ton of sense. And I definitely mm-hmm. did not catch that. Yeah. Um. Okay. I just, I, the one note additional note I have is just that Patty Constantine is, a fucking legend i just the acting in this episode and especially in these scenes was just fantastic as he gets like drunker and drunker and more emotional and more emotional um which concludes with this great scene of him and allison talking about rhaenyra in front of the fire and here this is completely unexpected because in the books viserys is not a dreamer in any way there's no discussion of him having visions but um we just really get his heart pretty much bared to his his now love and lady wife allison in that he kind of thought that naming Rhaenyra heir would pretty much not completely mend the mistakes that he made in the past, but essentially admits that he pushed, he knows he pushed Emma too far because of the vision that he had. Wait, so are you saying you said dreamer like Jojen, like a green dreamer? Isn't that different or a green? No, more like, like Danies, the, the Targaryen and now Aegon. So Aegon had the dream that we found out in episode one about the white walkers and everything. And then Danies, the dreamer is the Targaryen, their ancestor that had the dream that the doom of Valyria was going to happen. So that's why the Targaryens moved away from Valyria to Dragonstone and survived. That's just like a thing with Targaryens that they essentially have prophetic dreams not all of them. I guess it's only some of them. And Viserys is convinced that he is one of them. And Daenerys doesn't even have it from her own self, right? That's from the house of the. the- yeah, she goes and gets like kind of drunk off some shit and has some visions. Yeah, okay. But he's just like, uh, you kind of see how broken up he is still about it um, and how naive he is and thinking that just naming Rhaenyra the heir would kind of completely get rid of the blow that her mother has died. So, yeah, he's he's fairly torn up. And you know that he's. At this point, it seems like he mentions later to Rhaenyra that he wavered at one point about naming yeah. her heir. And I'm thinking it's this scene right here. Yeah. I mean, he's like, did I make a mistake? I named her out of love. Is that was that wrong? Was that a wrong thing to do? And yeah. I mean, th- all this episode, he really is a good dad, right? Like there's a scene, the scene with Otto 
when Otto's like, if you command it, she'll do it. And he's like, I do not wish to command her. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> this is, you know, the, he keeps saying shit like this all episode, which is better than any other guy and their daughter or wife or anyone in Game of Thrones. So that's why in the beginning when I was like, let's talk about was Viserys a good king? I guess what I really meant was like, he's a good guy. But yeah, he king, is. <laughs> he's, he's definitely really a good, good guy. He's a good guy. I like him. But yeah. And I also this the, what he said to Allison about Emma, Queen Emma. I was like, him and Allison must be tight because he meant that genuinely. He feels like he could say it to Allison without like, and she took it in stride. I feel like they're actually two pretty they're good together. She calls him my love later. Who knows if that's just something she says to like stroke his ego or whatever. Who's to say? I really want to know what's going on in Allison's head, but I feel like we'll just need yeah. way more episodes for that. That was a great point that I heard on a pod. I want to say it was Bald Move mentioned that Allison is an interesting character so far in the show because she has no confidants. Like she can't have a closed door conversation with someone where we find out what she's like actually thinking. Hmm. Sarah seems to be becoming that character, but all of the discussions they have are all about him and her yeah. responding yes. to the way he feels and nothing about the way she feels. So I wonder if we'll ever get to that point with her character. Cause we're begging for some, I'm begging rather for some fucking introspection or like just where her head is at about everything. Mm -hmm. It's all purely body language with her. Yep. All right, so the last thing we can discuss before we get to Rhaenyra and Kristen Cole's chunk of scenes is just that the hunt concludes. Two, I guess, important things here are going to be we actually see Harwin Strong, who is Lord Lionel's eldest son. Um, I'm pretty sure he's the guy who's holding the rope, who's not on a horse, and says, like, he's a big lad. I just think that's <laughs> supposed to be him. It, his name popped up in the in the closed caption, so I figured that was him. And then um, we noticed here... The first, I think it's the first hint of the episode that Viserys doesn't have his pinky and ring finger on his left hand. When he grips the spear and he's gripping it, those two fingers of the gloves aren't wrapped around it. And if you didn't mm. have fingers, then they wouldn't wrap around the spear. So, yeah, I just think that that was the first hint that we get. That, uh, he dude is drunk fingers. off a skunk, two, yeah. two fingers down, trying to stab <laughs> this gigantic ass thing. <laughs> yeah yeah he's got a fresh golden sphere though so that that should have helped him out but yeah i mean he definitely takes two pumps and that was very <laughs> difficult to watch and listen to i did not like that yeah yeah i'm sure there's a lot of symbolism too like alki was going on about it saying like he's this is his problem he's weak he doesn't really know what to do and he can't show yeah. in front of his kingdom which is fine i just i agree i just watched this i just felt so bad for the deer just fucking do it like he took yeah. so long for that second stab i was like get this off my screen yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, I'm assuming, I guess he his vision was probably swimming a little bit. He's probably like to the yeah. left. All right, you said left, right? So, I mean, he does get it done on the second thrust. Mm -hmm. So moving a bit backwards in time. So while the party is, is going on, Rhaenyra has run away after she gets in that blow-up argument that completely killed the vibe in Party Tent 1.0. Um, so Kristen Cole ends up tracking her down, and they actually have a nice little leisurely stroll through the Kingswood and, uh, and by the lake. So uh, Kathleen, I'm just very curious if you're picking up any, uh, any sexual tension between these two in these, uh, in these groups of scenes. So my fake hot take was that she, I think she actually is going to marry Lenore, but I think she's going to be smashing Sir Kristen Cole on the side. Uh, but I don't think that's my real hot take. So I'll wait for my real hot take later um, because I think people are just going to think that, but I think this is the most authentically Rhaenyra we get to see, especially these days now that she doesn't have Allison. Like she feels like she 
could like ask him questions, like be a little bit of a like cheeky girl yeah. around him. I will say I listened to a um, interview with Millie Alcock and they asked her in the beginning before when you're auditioning, what did they say about her character? And she said they didn't really tell her much. And then when she got it, they said that she is a punk princess is what they kept saying. Nice. Punk princess. And she was like, what does that mean? But I was like, <laughs> I actually think she nailed it. Like without wearing just like dark makeup or being a uh, this <laughs> yeah. day punk. Like, she is kind of a punk princess. She just wants to do whatever she wants or else she's not happy, you know? And I like that about her. Her and Damon are kind of similar in that way. But yeah, uh, but yeah so I'm getting the vibes. Um, our punk princess and this hot boy. I, I'm in. I, I was really... Oh, this is what I want to say. Last night we were watching and we were talking about, well, I thought she was going to be gay or queer or whatever. And Alex was or someone was like, well, she could be in love with Allison and Allison just d doesn't feel the same way back. You know what I mean? It could just be unrequited love from either one of them. I don't know that we'll ever get there. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Uh, but I am very cool with her not being queer if that's not the way they're going with this. And that was just a really deep friendship, like a like a girl friendship is the best. So I I'm fine with that if that's all it was. Mm -hmm. Sir Kristen Cole. Hot. Yeah, <laughs> would yeah. I would? Oh, definitely a would for sure. Yeah. It would. Um, I just like that we we also get a little bit of. So you said this is kind of the most authentic Rhaenyra that we've gotten. We also get a fairly authentic Christian Cole here. Yeah. Um, he hasn't had many speaking lines up until this point, but I just do like that we find out that he is a self-proclaimed was a little bit of a ladies' man when he was a, a younger knight in a in yeah. a Dondarian household. Um, and they kind of talk about how he could have had a say in his life in the sense that like he could have picked a common born woman that to fall in love with and marry himself. He wasn't going to be forced to marry anyone. And that kind of devolves into a conversation about the way Rhaenyra actually feels about her own position where she's like, you're lucky that you can have a say in your life. Like I'm just named heir, but it doesn't really mean anything. Like she feels like almost that she was made heir to the iron throne. And she says what to further raise the standing of the Lord of Casterly rock. Like that's bullshit. Like I don't like I have this title, but I don't really do anything in this position. And he, the gentleman, uh, kind of shoots that idea down and says that essentially he would not be where he was without her. So she has to have some level of power. So uh, he's he's definitely sliding those DMs a little <laughs> bit. I mean, he's he has taken a solemn oath not to take a wife and or lands, and he is a member of the Kingsguard. But uh, I don't think he can easily shake off that uh, that ladies' man past. I'm feeling death flags all over the fucking place after this conversation because this guy is honorable as fuck. He's nice. He seems like he has a moral compass no. that should, does not belong in Westeros. And he is somebody that seems kind of expendable from a high level show perspective. So we haven't gotten really any death, main deaths um, for these first three episodes. And, you know, Game of Thrones is iconically known for that. I almost expected a Corliss to die in, in the battle. So I think Kristen Cole could be a season oh, one death. I don't want him to die, but, but like this would be a good kill because it would, it would create instant change in Rhaenyra. And like, you could use that to redirect her towards like a fun plot path. Um, but yeah, I think anybody that's honorable, they usually don't make it out of Westeros. And I'm yeah. thinking that Kristen Cole's checking a lot of those boxes after this conversation as being a good dude. And that's not good. That's a, that's a very Otto Hightower take of you. Yeah, I mean, just <laughs> using using these people to for fucking character development and power. I will say, Luke, during the battle at the end, which we'll talk through, I thought Uncle Vaymond was beat. Like they, the way they were Same. shooting it, 
I didn't think Corliss or Lenore was going to die, but I thought he was pretty expendable. Like introduce someone mm-hmm. who has some some standing, some like high standing and then just <laughs> someone. I'm so shocked no one did. But Same. one more thing about the scene. Rhaenyra is playing this like, woe is me. My life sucks ass kind of thing. And he's kind of like, listen, anyone would trade places with you, girl. You're a princess because she is like complaining a lot, even though I agree, like within her life where she is now, she has some things to complain about. But you think about episode one where you're walking around Westeros, you're going to get fucking raped or killed just by walking down the street. A lot of people would love to be the princess flying around on dragons, doing whatever the fuck she wants for three years straight. Yeah, he's he's definitely given her some well needed perspective. Yeah, agreed. Yep. Yeah, um, I guess they have a they have more scenes. I mean, we have the boar scene, which was just so random. I'm not exactly sure the point of it. I mean, I guess maybe like the two of them make a good team and that they tag team it or that like he's a he's a king's guard, so he's obviously going to put his life on the line. I don't think it's supposed to like be that yeah. he's like into her in that way i I don't really know the point of it i agree until i did like it because during her walk of shame scene back through the kind of like the party or whatever when she's all bloody and everyone's just watching her walk by that was kind of sick because it's just another thing being like what were you doing what have you been doing like you're you're a wacko what are you (laughs) yeah and i guess i mean the secret of what they were doing is the fact that they run into the actual white heart so before they actually head back to camp the next morning, they run into the White Heart and Rhaenyra lets it go free. I mean, she tells Kristen to put his sword away, which I guess a side note is what the fuck was he going to do with that sword anyway? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like he, I don't think he's closing the distance on that thing and getting a, a swing in. So I don't know if he was just going to throw it. Who knows? I saw, I thought the same thing. I was like, he's not fucking killing that thing, whatever he <laughs> yeah. does with that sword. Well, I guess if he's anticipating a charge, he wants that's, to be ready. Who knows? Yes, that's yeah. also yeah. on the table, too. Um, but like <laughs> Kathleen said, yeah, they roll back into camp covered in blood. And I like that they did do this of you get break bones, who is the the son of the master of laws. Lord Strong is like he's breaking down an animal and he smiles at seeing her like so bloody. And it's like, oh, like, look at this chick. And then Jason Lannister who was trying to get her hand earlier in the episode is like a little bit disgusted. He's like, Oh, yeah. she's kind of dirty. So <laughs> I just clearly those scenes were purposeful. I just, that was, I thought that was a nice little touch. I thought this was so fucking badass. I loved it. I don't even care that she didn't really get the kill on the board. Like she did the whole ending his life, but you know, Chris and Colt did all the work, but yeah. she just walks in, just looks amazing. Just super confident. Everybody's looking at her. And this is where you do get the shot of, the Lannister twins with that guy. I'm not confirming that mm, it's their yeah. dad. I don't. I, we can look that up and talk about it next time because that is kind of important if he is the true warden of the West or not. But yeah, this was just great. And if you ever forget like that she's a badass, you get reminded every once in a while. Yeah, true. Yeah, I just. I guess I just did not notice the old guy at all. Yeah, I didn't yeah. either. But Alki brought it up and like was like, "Look out for this." So I and I saw him and he was there. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they don't even in the wiki very quickly. He doesn't even have like a dad listed that I can see. Okay. So I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, so <laughs> that concludes all of the uh, the fun and the revelry of the hunt. One thing I will mention is that so we had a hunt in season one with uh, Bobby Baratheon, good old Bobby <laughs> B. Uh, he obviously does not make it out of the hunt. Yeah. And he had significantly less fun than they had on this hunt. And I just think it's interesting to think about the difference between the two of them of season one. 
low budget Game of Thrones 2009, 11, whatever the hell it ended up being versus season one of House of the Dragon, however many years on, much bigger budget. I mean, this was a huge set piece. So many people. I just thought it was cool to to actually see like a a royal hunt and all of like the kind of partying and all the all the kind of shit that goes along with it. Yeah. And I mean, like, hunt in parentheses, obviously, because, like, they yeah. didn't do anything. I mean, Viserys gets a fucking load on all day, steps out, hungover in the morning, stabs it with a spear, and everyone's clapping. It's like, that's the conclusion of the hunt. Yeah, I mean, that's that's how it goes, I guess. All right, so we move from the Kingswood now, and we're back in King's Landing. So we have three kind of, not quick, but important scenes here in King's Landing. We have, um, and it's... All the House of the Dragon episodes, it just comes down to conversations. It feels like all these episodes get broken into how many conversations are in each scene. But um, Otto and Allison have a discussion about Aegon and his claim. Allison and Viserys have a discussion about Rhaenyra and her marriage. And then Viserys and Rhaenyra have a discussion about her claim and her marriage. Nice. Let's rip them. I just want to say about this, so we'll start with the Allison and Otto scene. Basically, Otto just comes in and again, she still has to listen to his bullshit. It's like she cannot get she's the queen and she cannot get rid of Otto just like mansplaining, being like, this is how it needs to be. You need to do this. Like, don't you want your son to be king? And she's like, who wouldn't? What queen? would? What mother wouldn't want this? And it's just I'm so sick of Allison uh, for Allison having to listen to Otto. And this is my hot take. I think. Otto gets murdered in season one. I think he's going to be the big death. And hopefully Damon does it. But that's just my stupid hot take that I just want. I think I think we do need one big death, if not multiple. So since we're jumping in age two, Otto seems like like he's slowing down a little bit. He's like old. I feel like it would be a good kill because he's going to get aged out anyway. If it's going to jump another what? How many years? Like him we'll is see, a, yeah 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 so my hot well, take I, is, I might i guess we'll see ahead. i'm sorry luke to step in but when i said that i meant more of like how far in the future we're gonna go yeah. sure um because they've aged the characters up so they might not actually have to jump that far um i guess they'll have to technically keep the timeline of like 129 ac yes. is kind of the mm-hmm. date where where you know shit i guess hits the fan for for a modern term but um but yeah i mean i guess we'll see how how much they actually like because they don't really give us a year here well, we should be able to figure it out from context clues of three years plus oh, the fair. 10 from the beginning of, of the King's Council from Generis. Yeah. So I guess it's like 115 ish, 115 AC. So we have, you know, yeah, you're right. We have about maybe 15, 14 years to jump. Yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, those 14, 15 years are the hardest years for someone that's out his age. Yeah. I want to bring up my hot take because it's very, very similar. It's based off of the same premise that you're going for there kathleen where this conversation between otto and allison where he's kind of laying it out saying you know if Aegon doesn't take the throne after viserys dies there's going to be a the land westeros is going to get torn in half it's just how precedent works how people view males versus females it basically needs to be Aegon. and my hot take is that i think Otto is going to orchestrate the killing of Viserys by the end of the season. And because that seems to be the simplest answer of how he's going to, he's either going to orchestrate the, the killing of Viserys or attempt to do it to Rhaenyra and die. Either one would accomplish his goal of having Aegon be put there because if he kills Viserys, even if Viserys doesn't officially name 
Aegon the heir, it will probably lead to that civil war and destroy the yeah. land anyway, and it would accomplish the goal. So I think that there's a chance that he's, it seems like Otto keeps slowly getting pushed either by his brother, by customs and laws, by what's going on with Alicent and Viserys. Like all of this seems to be pushing him in that way where I think he's going to full on take it the the little finger roll and and create this this plot that ends up killing Viserys. So I don't think Otto dies this season. I think it's Viserys that's going to cap off the finale. That makes so much sense. Okay. That really does. That's not a hot take. That's a genius take. That's a well thought through take. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. I've been thinking about it a lot. <laughs> I'll try to. I, my hot takes, I guess, will have to be more like comments on other things. Like, you know, you know. What yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I'm I just can't totally make, guessing. I can't really make any predictions. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I just. Wow. That that was good. I, I agree, Kathleen. That was a. Uh, I like that genius take. <laughs> Um, so the next comment, I, got, I mean, you pretty much covered that whole conversation too. So that was nice. Yeah. Uh, moving to the next conversation will be Allison and Viserys. I just like the way that Viserys describes his hangover of the gods have punished me for my indulgences. I'll try <laughs> to there. maybe work that into my vocab, but I doubt it'll <laughs> stick. But that's just a really great way to say that. Um, but here we get a complete uh, look at Viserys's mangled fingers um, as he's ho- he's holding the cup in his hand. And they're like very down to like the first knuckle and like all like kind of blackened. So whatever the maggots clearly did not work. The throne is is kind of fucking our boy up here a little bit. And as we've spoken before, it is a bit of a metaphor of how he is as a king that the, mm-hmm. the throne itself may be rejecting him. Yeah. But the actual content of the the conversation is pretty good. Actually, it's a good in it's a good look at their marriage. And Kathleen even mentioned it earlier how uh, Allison is kind of that level of reasoning for him where he seems to be lost in the sauce of like, this person wants this, this person wants that. And if I do that, then they'll hate me. If I do this, then they'll hate me. And Allison kind of gives him a bigger picture idea of like the crab feeder and the triagree are bad for the entire realm. So you should do it with that in mind, not, not wanting to upset this person versus that person. Yep. And we find out that Vaymon Valerian, who is Corliss's brother has sent them a letter for aid, which Allison obviously convinces him to send so moving into the biggest and probably the most important discussion of these three scenes is uh viserys and rhaenyra so they have a little discussion in the small council chamber begins with talking about damon and the stepstones and i'm sure as most of their conversations have 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 off screen in the past three years quickly devolves into a discussion about marriage Mm -hmm. this um so sorry so we're just doing the, everything that's left with um, Viserys, right? Yeah, yeah. Just, it's just Viserys and Rhaenyra talking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is the first scene where I think I was just anti Rhaenyra in in almost the take. I guess the takeaway from the scene caused me to say, "What's her deal?" Like everything that she could have possibly wanted to happen out of this conversation in a realistic light happened. He offered her marry whoever you want. You just got to get married. I'm not going to dethrone you as the heir. You are the heir forever. So basically those two things right there should make her happy, even though she walked away a little pissy. And my favorite line for almost the whole episode was the conversation after Viserys starts getting heated about what's going on. She's just being this punk princess, right? He says, (laughs) I love that term. Rulers must marry for advantage. You've always understood this. That was a line that I just, for some reason, really, really, really enjoyed because it's true. Like what has Rhaenyra been doing these last three years? She understands how the throne works. Like, what's her end goal? Is she just going to be pouty until she's on the throne? Like, I don't really understand her goal because the father is giving her everything she could ask for. I think it's and she even says it. She 
calls him out and yeah. says, like, you're trying to replace me. So in her head, there is no throne at this point. But like, that's before knows, the speech. Well, I'm just saying, like, in her head, it's completely like she's just doing the quick math of son equals heir. Yeah. So she's like, I'm cooked. So, like, now you're just trying to peddle me off. And she says, um, like, you know, the son that you've always wanted, you want to replace me and peddle me for what you can get. All know it. Like, everyone in the realm knows that this. I mean, Jason Lannister is the perfect example of it. Oh, yeah. I'm on her side of being pissed and, and thinking, like, you don't actually need me and i'm not going to be the heir before the before the speech she's like i'm not going to be the heir so i'm going to do what i want i'm not going to marry someone for like power when i'm just like going to be someone's wife i don't need to i'm just going to chill if that's what it means but i do love this speech he gives he's genuinely like i'm not going to live forever would love to see you happy i'd love to see you smile what the fuck like it's a good speech he's a the whole episode he keeps saying things that make me go, wow, he actually is a good dad. He actually loved Queen Emma. I think he does really lo- like love Allison now. I mean, in the beginning, it was like she was the best case scenario of a bunch of like flops. But it's like, I'm going to marry this kid or I'm going to marry her. I think he grew to love her. He can. He's just a good guy. And I don't know. I, I, I really liked the part where he's just like, I would like to see you content at some mm-hmm. point. Make your choice, like secure your succession. Like whatever works, but like you need to you need to get married and like secure your succession. So like yeah. what, however that whatever that means to you, you do that. Yeah. But like do it. Yeah. She does smile. She does yeah. smile. She tries mm-hmm. to hide it. And she kind of turns away from him because I don't think she she's definitely in that punk princess. As yeah. I, I think I will continue to say for the rest of the <laughs> the entire show that we yep. cover it. Um, right. But uh, yeah, cause I don't think she wants to see him to see her smile like that. But she definitely did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then this is, he has the quote, and I'm sorry to step over you, but this is Rhaenyra. I did waver at one time, which we, I think, seem to agree is the the scene in front of the fire with Allison. But I swear to you now, on your mother's memory, you will not be supplanted. Now, Kai, I want to know your opinion on this because I was with Luke and I was like, holy shit, you can't just say that. I mean, you can easily go against it. Like, it's just like a promise you made to her and cl- behind closed doors. People lie all the time. People say, sorry. Whoops. But like, this is pretty legit. Like, if he's swearing on the- Amma's grave, this is like legit. I was so shocked by this because I think that cements Luke's theory that he is dead as a fucking doornail because there's no shot. I think he doesn't break that promise, but he dies. So it doesn't matter anymore. Right. It's void. Damn. You agree, Luke? Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. I think that I was, was, I mean, find his death warrant right there. Yeah. yeah. I literally had a question. I was just going to ask like whether you, what you guys think of, of that promise and whether it'll be kept or not. Yeah. From, from Viserys's life. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Okay. So that actually concludes all of our Viserys Rhaenyra marriage Mm-hmm. Airs, all that kind of stuff talk. And now we can transition into um, the Stepstones. So this is obviously our our action storyline. Um, we very briefly covered the opening scene, but essentially it's just we get to see Caractus and Damon in action, which is fucking awesome. Um, and I don't know if you guys had anything else really to say about that. What's his name? The crab feeder's name, Drahar? Prince, Jahar. yeah, it's, it's like Kragus, Kragus Drahar, I think is his actual name. More like Kravis Jahar. Does yeah, he yeah. have any family history that matters, or is he just that one line in the Fire and Blood book that we kind of just no. they expanded on? Yeah, I don't believe he has any um, 
like known lineage or anything like that. He's just someone that the the council, the three, the triarchy, those cities have kind of just brought together. Okay. And then one quick thing too, I noticed. I don't know if it was a coincidence or just how they filmed it or whatever, or how they CGI'd it. I guess. How connected are the riders to the dragons in terms of pain? Because I thought there was one point where Damien gets hit by the arrow and Craxus reacts to it. And then also oh, yeah. another point where Damon raises his hand to like block arrows or at least like cover his face from arrows. And then right away, the dragon raises his wing up too. So I guess that's all just a telepathic connection and their birth connection kind of going. Yeah, they definitely have a level of connection. I don't know if it goes all the way to telepathy, but um, there, there, there are multiple, I'm pretty sure there are multiple things or I'm sorry, like, times where a dragon rider will die but the dragon lives on because the dragons live to be hundreds of years of hundreds of years old and the dragon has like a like they know like they'll like pass away in the castle and then the dragon will like freak out in the dragon pit like okay. things like that so there is some level of of connection like an emotional almost you could even say telepathic connection okay but i don't know if it goes as far as like literally like controlling their limbs on that level yeah. But I do think, and I clocked it as well, that it was meant to be that Damon gets hurt, Caraxus like screams and things like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 For sure. Caraxus just looks great. Oh my God. All right. So we can move um, now to, I think we'll just, we can do the war council and then we'll do the actual ending battle. Um, but the, the war council, God damn, this was, this was fairly unexpected um, for two parts of it. First is just Lanor being a fucking boss because mm-hmm. he has grown up in these past three years. I think that might be my hot take. That's kind of the type of hot take I guess I can have in that they just, I think they completely miscasted him as like his younger actor because it just feels like he's so much older than he was three years ago. Yeah. I don't even remember seeing his younger actor in he was episode at the one or two. Okay. He was wasn't, at the twenty. Yeah, it wasn't the daughter that we kind of, I think we might have said that. We thought it was Oh well, she's there too. They they oh, look they like there? almost a similar age. That's you know, he, stupid then because he yeah. is it's like a full grown adult in this. He's like a man. Yeah. Yeah. So, He's having guess, fun on that dragon. I'll tell yes, you what. Yes, he is. Yes, he <laughs> is. So yeah, we do find out that um Essentially, they're getting their asses kicked. I mean, Corliss basically says supplies, men, and morale are as low as could possibly be, mm-hmm. um, and there's really no help in sight. This is where Vaymond is kind of arguing, and and Lenor is trying to prop Damon up as this guy who can who can be bait for this great plan that he has. And Vaymond calls Damon out, and Lenor just drops the the ultimate insult in the entire episode, where he says he calls him the master of complaints, mm-hmm. which is just funny to see a little personality out of Lenor. It seems like he's now becoming an actual character versus like a background set piece at the tourney. And then this is when Damon arrives yep. and just beats the shit out of that messenger, <laughs> which was the second surprising thing for me. Fuck Vayman, dude. What the hell? I did yeah. not expect that at all after the letter and just how he treated it because it seemed like Vayman was trying to be the liaison between the king and this war that's going on. Now he's just yeah. like, well, if they don't support you, I'm done. Like, I-, I didn't like any of that. And I totally was team Corliss and Lenore. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it might just be the fact that, like, in the beginning of the war, it's all, like, promises of spoils and titles and gold, and now we're three years deep and we're losing, and it's like, well, this actually kind of fucking sucks, so. Yeah. Yeah, because they even, like, go to all of, like, the, the men's faces, and they don't look like they're having a good time, and mm-hmm. they react really <laughs> negatively, actually, to Damon, like, beating the shit out of the messenger. Um, and so I think that. For what is worth, from the rest of this episode, he does not say a single word. No. Nah. 
It's no. just fucking insane. And he feels like he said so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you talk about Damon. I'm sorry. Yes. Damon. Sorry. I meant Damon. Yeah. 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 I mean, they do it great, dude. He gets the news and we know what the news is. But the, the sound in the background completely drops and it's just everything's muffled. But you hear him still beating the shit out of someone. But like the eye change, he's like, hmm? he's like shaking his head a little bit. as yes. he's lying. <laughs> <laughs> And then he just turns and fucking goes hard. He's such a cock. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, um, this really is his like Hail Mary. He's like, all right, well, I'm not taking help from my brother. And this was the whole point of this war was to kind of like show up and show myself and prove myself. And I'm not having my brother take this win. So let's fucking go. Yep, Who's yeah. crazy enough to do this? Who's crazy enough? Damon's crazy enough. Let's of course he go. is. Of course. And Viserys even says in his conversation with Rhaenyra, Rhaenyra asked, like, did Damon call for aid? And Viserys said, no, like, of course not. He would literally rather die than ask yeah. me for help. But like, I'm doing it anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah so, yeah, I guess the, the plan just begins of, of Damon is going to be this bait that he's going to fake surrender. And then, I mean, I, I guess there was two camps that I saw online of people thinking that this was a complete plan or it was Damon kind of went off on his own. And then everyone was like, oh, fuck, like we got to follow Damon because like we can't let him just go alone and die. That's a good question. I thought you were trying to get at it that it was. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, because all of the, the Corliss soldiers lined up and were ready to go when the time came. But yeah, I, I don't think they had a choice. I think you're, yeah. ta- they're taking Damon, who is the control pad to the nuke that we have, the dragon. Yeah. If we let him die, we completely lose Craxis. Let's fucking go. This is the only way we can do this. Yeah, I, I'm in camp. I'm honestly, sh- I didn't realize that anyone could take it, that it wasn't the plan. Yeah. Only because Lanor literally describes the yeah. plan before yes. Damon shows up. Mm-hmm. I think it's like you have Damon who goes off on the messenger and it's like, okay, he's fucking crazy right now. So that maybe made people think that he like did this all on his own and they all had to like scramble to get all their gear together and follow him. But um, it seemed planned out to me. Yeah, totally. And yeah, just, it was just everything about this is the definition of Epic and my God, the second rewatch when I can just fully know what's coming and just pay attention to the small details. Like the fighting was so freaking good. The crab feeder did it for me with his just constant looking up into the sky. Yes. I loved everything about that. And that's when you really get to see the eye. His his left eye was grayscaled, like completely. Like that was yeah, he's definitely beyond confirmation the that the grayscale was getting to his brain. And that's kind of something we talked about. And I really enjoy it once you guys convinced me that that was a better plot line. And it, it just worked really well here. Yeah, I think that maybe Crabfeeder once was a a leader who could speak and rally the crowds. And then Mm -hmm. eventually the grayscale took over to the point where he was just like alien human. And then now he's just like communicates with head nods and shit. But (laughs) I think that he might've been a good leader at some point, good leader, whatever, a crazy man, but still. Yeah. I think I do. It is a thing. Those were just words. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Grayscale can take over your tongue and turn it to stone. So it could literally be that his tongue is a block of stone in his mouth and he can't use it. Yeah. Cool. I'm assuming that's what it's 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 supposed to be. But yeah, I mean, Damon fake surrender, which is <laughs> seems classic Damon, not very honorable. You would yeah. not catch Kristen Cole fake surrendering and then killing people. That's all yeah. I'll say. Um, and just dodges 18 million arrows. And right as everyone is surrounding him, Corliss and the gang show up. And I only want to get into this level of detail just to say that Corliss looked fantastic Mm -hmm. in his armoring with that axe. So, Luke, when you said earlier you thought Corliss was going to die, there's no way that man was going to die looking like that. No, no, no. I said Damon. (laughs) 
Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah he meant like one of the Corliss family members, like, oh, whether it's Corliss, yeah. Lenore, or Vaymond. Yeah, yeah, is what he meant. Okay. Yeah, because Corliss was fucking driven out there, man. There was no way that he was <laughs> going down, dude. His armor. I mean, I, it's perfect because he is the richest man. In Westeros, so he should look like you know an absolute savage out there on the battlefield. I also always love it when the front lines are like the leaders of the whole pack. It's like normally, I mean, Corlys and Damon are you know they're they're the highest ranked. They wouldn't be in the front lines, and these fucking badasses are like, "Let's go!" Yeah, <laughs> just right on the front line with that hair swinging, both of them. I did have a question quickly. What is Damon's past war experience? Like, why is he such a badass? Like, is this just training in Westeros? Yeah. He doesn't really have much actual war experience. There has been no real opportunity that's to crazy. do so. I feel yeah. like he wouldn't actually be this good, but that's okay. Because it was so I mean, badass. Yeah. So he, I mean, he was recognized at a young age to be like a really good fighter. Yeah. Um. I mean, he, so King Jaehaerys granted him the sword that he uses Dark Sister when he was like 15 or 16 years old. Um, which is a fairly high honor. I just, it's kind of more just that. I mean, he's a prince, a second son who was a prince. Um, so at that point, really all you have is to become a knight and be mm -hmm. a savage. So I think that's kind of just what yeah. his background is. A Valyrian steel sword plus the train, the highest training money can buy is kind of the only thing that you can really write it off to. Plus yeah. people and are naturally glitch. great fighters. Like Jon Snow yeah. was the same. He didn't have any experience for being in the wildling confrontations but he was still a beast at winterfell yeah. and he never fought anybody so i think sure. it just kind of works there are naturals they do actually mention that's actually a plot point essentially and like john becoming a man a little bit is that he has had training at winterfell and he's just beating the shit out of all these like farmer's sons in the yard so they're like you know if you kind of help them out, that's how he ends up making friends um mm -hmm. it's because he realizes that okay i'm actually a trained knight almost and these people have just been hoeing fields for their entire lives mm -hmm. so maybe i should try to help them out but yeah and no that's just same thing with damon though but damon doesn't give a fuck because he's damon so he i want to so badass so i want to bring up the the comparison that's been making its rounds on social media right now because we're talking about Jon snow it's just i've been seeing everything under the sun comparing this moment to the Battle of the Bastards because he just, you know, it's Jon Snow yeah. charging at the army by himself. And then it even goes to be as specific of a comparison. It has Littlefinger's Knights of the Vale army are Corliss's soldiers that kind of roll up at the same time to save the day when when you think the main character is going to die here. I don't know who tweeted it. It might have been, I don't know, whoever it was, was saying that basically Damon is Jon Snow, but toxic. And it's just yeah. such a perfect, <laughs> it's just a, such a perfect comparison. Like it really yeah. is. Yeah, and even I to get even crazy specific, they have like very short swords. Like their swords are not regulation longsword length. That's amazing because I hate longswords so much. I think they're so impractical. So jumping back into the actual movement of Damon throughout this fight, because I wanted to comment on this because I feel like I could just hear people on Twitter and and Reddit complaining about him not getting hit by the arrows. I was kind of begging for him to get hit earlier than he did to prove mm -hmm. it because there were so many people shooting at him. And he was they were going out of their way to make uh, the cinematography show him dodging at the right times. And he was like moving quick and it'd be hard as fuck to actually hit him from that distance. Um, but did that bother or take either of you guys out of it at all that he was getting a little bit of plot armor? But then he takes a couple of arrows. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just pretty much the way it goes. I feel okay. like I'm yeah. so numb to that kind of thing now. And that the one thing, the one thought I really had was that it has one guy 
almost like a body shield and then immediately slits his throat and dumps him and then just starts mm-hmm. dodging arrows. I'm like, why wouldn't you maybe like pick up a shield on the way or yeah. like, you know, use a body? I don't know. But mm-hmm. it is what it is. Because the, the thought immediately gets wiped when fucking Lanor shows up on his dragon Sea Smoke and just the highest bit. Jacaris! Yeah. <laughs> It is like that. I was thinking yeah. the same thing. He's so yeah. young. Yeah, it was really funny. I thought that just made me laugh. Like it's supposed to be badass. And he even has like a his second pass by. He's like, woo! He's like really yeah. having a good time. Yeah, he I just is. thought that was funny and Dude, actually like MVP. really in character. MVP man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mary yeah. Rhaenyra. Mary Rhaenyra. Call. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess. I mean, question because it wasn't a thing. It's kind of hinted at at the War Council, but that's obviously right before this even happens. Of like was obviously there I, there has to be some level of surprise that Lanor is riding a dragon to me i was completely shocked just like luke said it was like not really mentioned it was shocking that somebody else could ride the dragon that we didn't know about and yeah makes total sense once you think about it but that was hot that was good stuff for me and he has a sweet look at dragon i don't know if it's a total coincidence that it's like kind of similar to his hair like the grayish silver dragon but i just love like I keep thinking about the thing that you brought up, Kyle, on the first podcast about how George R. R. Martin wanted the dragons to be so uniquely different from each other. And you could just yeah. tell that they are way different. That did not yeah. look anything like Craxis. Yeah, his dragon's got a badass name too. The, his name is a uh, Sea Smoke. That's cool. And it's, I mean, he's got that white, almost like foam smoke color. So it's yeah. it's a pretty apt name. And the Valerians love to sail. So it's fairly perfect. Yeah. Yep. And I think it's it was great too of... We get earlier in the episode of like, hey, maybe uh, Rhaenyra should marry Lanor. And at this point, we haven't seen any of Lanor. So it's like, ah, like he's just the son of the sea snake. Like, that's the only reason why. And now we see him, he's a fucking dragon rider. And that seems kind of up Rhaenyra's alley a little bit. I feel like that gives it more of a she might also like the match versus it being purely political. Totally. I bet they have some sort of like, kind of like the Jon Snow and um, Danny ride of that was so cringe of season eight i think but it'll be like funner and more like playfully like i don't know i hated that scene in season eight so (laughs) i think i'll like this one better when they do it yeah yeah let's so let's talk about one of the best little moments of the entire episode here is after damon gets saved from him was dying like all the knights all the corliss army comes in leonor's doing his, his stuff and then we see crab feeder by the entrance of the cave kind of realizing that he's fucked here and damon dude licking his chops does the little sword flip in his yeah. hand just so freaking cool and <laughs> we were sitting next to alki when we watched this and he goes that's what i do with my tennis racket no i said that <laughs> oh you, you said that. <laughs> i said that and then alki goes so do i yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny yeah. it was just I mean, exactly awesome. what I did. Damon knew he's like, this is he's just licking his lips like this is it game over. And he just walks right in there and walks yep. right out with a third of crab feeder. Yeah, that was fucking it was sweet. sick. Why is he touching him? He's got. Uh, oh, my God. Just disease. And he went in there without an ounce of blood on him. Comes out blood. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, <laughs> have yeah. fun with that. That's kind of the cuck because I've mentioned before. Crabfeeder definitely does not have grayscale in the books. So I'm interested of if there's going to be anything about this. Technically, there are two types of grayscale you can get. You can get one that's not fatal and you can stop the advance of it. Like we remember Stannis's daughter Shireen had that where like you kind of have it when you're when you're a kid and then you can stop it. 
And then there's also the other kind, which is the fatal kind, which actively spreads, which is commonly referred to as the Great Plague. I guess maybe he had like the non-fatal kind. So he's been like that his entire life. Mm-hmm. And it's not like it's actively spreading. It's more just like that's how he is now, maybe. But yeah, I do. I really do wonder if that will be addressed. One thing that I said, I read on, I think it was today, actually. I was just reading random comments from a random thread. Someone said that it's kind of believed that the Targaryens have a resistance to grayscale. It's just part yeah. of like their their blood and their genes and stuff. So that could be a piece of it too. And there's a chance that ignorance is a thing. I don't really know if it's widespread that he would have that people would recognize grayscale on site, especially because they left before the Doom of Valyria, and that's when yep. grayscale popped up, right? I would I would hope it's not ignorance because then it's like we have to have a like I don't want to deal with Damon having like a sickness. Yeah. So, you know, because I'm assuming we're going to skip in time again and it's either going to be a thing or it's not. So I just hope it's just not like addressed. Agreed. I yeah. think because it's like kind of whatever to me at this point. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's just like, I guess it was an interesting choice and it just looks like if you're it's one of those things where like if you know enough, then it's bad. It feels bad to you versus like if you're a, more of a casual viewer. It's kind of just like it looks cool and badass. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. since we kind of know about grayscale, it makes it a little bit iffy for us. Mm-hmm. Who can say? Last thing I'll say is that walkout when he's holding Crab Feeder and just even Vayman is just like, damn, Damon is legit. Should never have yeah. wavered with my support here. And again, no words, just covered in blood, just looking out all confident. Damon knows he's a legend and it's just every single episode he gets farther and farther up the ranks of just yeah. Game of Thrones char- universe characters. It's also just that is the exact moment where they've finally now attained the glory and plunder that, they, uh, that they've that they been searching for for the past three years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure it's going to be a great relief. I just I'm also I, I want I'm excited to get Corliss and Damon and that, I guess now Lena are back into like the political stuff yeah. as well. Because obviously we know that Corliss and Damon are complete wrench throwers when it comes to politics and uh, and maneuvering in King's Landing. I'm I can start with our with my top character and least favorite Damon mm-hmm. top. Hey, wait wait let's clarify. Um, are we saying top for this episode? Like who had the best episode? Or we're we saying for the yeah. se- series so far? I think an MVP and LVP episode. of the episode. Okay okay. I'm gonna say MVP is Damon. How could it not be after that showing at the end? And then I'm gonna say the LVP is Jason Lannister. What a flop! Um, he never had a chance, and he um, he's just giving that like douchey Lannister thinks he could just like throw money at an, at anything and make it okay and and win everything that way. So yeah, he's he's the flop. Anyway, you guys to be different. Um, I'll say that my MVP was Leonor. Fuck yeah, let's get it. And then my LVP is Vayman because fuck him. So I think that all came out in this final storyline of me covering this part yeah. anyway. But that's how I felt about it. Yeah, walking away fair. thinking, love Leonor. Vayman's a little bit lower, and Corliss. I still am super interested in him, and I like that he backed up Leonor in that in that council meeting and kind of shut Vayman down, saying you're not creating a mutiny. This is not what's happening. So. Yeah. Vayman's at the the low end of the totem pole for the Corlysses. Corlysai. That's okay. (laughs) Okay, I like that. Uh, This is tough, but I'm going to say MVP for me is Viserys. Not even taking it as like an in-universe thing. I just really enjoyed his parts of the episode, and I just love the acting on his character. Um, And he's so much better in the show than he is in the books. 
So I just, Viserys for me is the MVP of this episode. He held it down and just made it more interesting. And LVP is interesting. I will say I'm going to hop on Jason Lannister because fuck yeah. that guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he completely yeah. fell on his face in this entire episode. So Damn. I don't think there's any other answer. And this could be a spoilery thing. So don't answer this if you don't want to or you don't know. Uh, is he, does his ancestors or his descendants matter? Do they, Jason's? Um, no, I mean, no, I'm going to say no. Okay. Yeah, I'm just going to say no, because if I'm honest, I don't know them. What if he's like, what was Jesus? I can't remember his name. Uh, who's the youngest? Who's the king that killed himself? The the Joffrey's little brother. Why can't I remember his name? Tommen. Oh, Tommen. Tommen yeah. You know how Tommen plays a different Lannister earlier in the series when he gets yes, killed yeah. by Jamie? Could be that could mm-hmm. be like his like. Yeah, <laughs> I guess theoretically it, it easily could be. Yeah, because he's like, oh, I kind of know you, I think. Like, you're my cousin's yeah. aunt's nephew's sister or some brothers. Yeah, know. and I would not put it past George to actually make the entire Lannister house tree like that. So, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It definitely could be a thing. Mm-hmm. But also at the top of my head, I'm not sure who his children are. Okay. All right. Well, let me ask you a question. When you texted us mid episode and said, man, I love the show, do you remember what scene it was? I'm pretty sure it was when they arrive at the tourney grounds and they, you first get introduced to Laris Clubfoot and you see him limping and I'm like, that's fucking the Clubfoot. And then, <laughs> and then Hobart Hightower announces Aegon as like the second of his name. I was like, Oh shit. He said it. So it's like, yeah, just like little things like that. It's just mm-hmm. gets me gassed up. Cause it's and then they introduce break bones and like, you know, Viserys Joanna, Joanna's right. Yeah. That too. stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, God damn, this is fire. Love that. All right. I think we're good. And we'll yeah. say we got picked up for season two. So we'll be doing this for a long time. Oh, my God. That's so right. And also, Miguel Sapochnik is leaving the show. Right. Why is that? I think it was that he really didn't want to come back and do Game of Thrones, like all of it. So it seems like he kind of came in for the first season and was like, let's get a nice foundation set up. And then it was always kind of in his plan to kind of transfer it to someone else. And the new guy's name is Alan... I don't know what his last name is at the top of my head, but he also has directed like 10 episodes of Game of Thrones. He directed like Sopranos episodes, The Wire, Boardwalk Empire. So he's like a big nice. HBO director guy. So it seems like they're just trading their director showrunner for another director showrunner. And Ryan Condal does all of like the writing and things like that. So it should be a, a, a pretty good transition. That's not really a worrying thing. Right. Cool. All right. Good stuff. So that will conclude our coverage of episode three of house of the dragon titled the second of his name. Um, if you like what you heard, please subscribe on whatever podcast app you're listening on. If you're watching on YouTube, we would love for your subscription on that as well. Um, you can check us out. All of our socials are at Bingetown TV. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Bingetown TV. Um, we're about to actually start covering Rick and Morty's about to premiere. Is that tonight? Or did that already happened. Last that night. happened last it was night. last night. Rings of Power is on the fence for us. We might do like a full season thing, but um, we'll continue popping out other shows as well alongside House of the Dragon. So if you like what you heard, you could definitely check out our entire catalog on wherever you are listening right now. So that's all I got. Anything else? All good. Good, to go. good all app. Right. Yep. Sounds good. Later. Can't wait till next week. Love y'all. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 